Father, we're so grateful to be able to surrender ourselves to you tonight. And Lord, just to know that you're here with us and Lord, you promised you would be. And so we believe you, Lord, and we take you at your word tonight. And we believe that every need can be met. Lord, we don't even know what you want to build in our lives tonight and what word might be uh, striking to our heart that would ignite, Lord, as Brother Joel talked about on Sunday night that would ignite the gasoline, Lord, and would put us in motion. But Lord, would you just give it to us tonight? And Lord, whatever we have need of, we know that you'll you'll anoint that word with your spirit, Lord, to come and be the d- dynamics and mechanics in our life. And we thank you for it. Lord, I pray you'd move me out of the way tonight, especially tonight, Lord. May, may you help me not to say anything that I shouldn't say, Lord, but may I only say those things you would have me to say ask it in your precious name. Amen. 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 We're going to read from Genesis 49:27 and 1 Samuel 9:21 again. Thank you for that song, Sister Carla. One of my favorite songs in the world. I I just can't get over that story. You call me a baby if you want to, but here's a prostitute Come down to see Jesus. Smelled the food. Brother Branham told it so eloquently. Come smelled the food and she come down there and Jesus is sitting there with unwashed feet. Been invited but wasn't welcome at Simon's house. And she sat there and she said, I've got to do something for, for him. So she takes the alabaster box of ointment that she had paid for with the money she'd gotten from her living the way she made a living, took it down there, and Jesus accepted that yes. worship. Yes. Oh, my, what that must have done for her. Yes. What a testimony that that was. And, and so that just always gets to me. I, Brother Branham put it this way. I read it early in my ministry, and it just always struck me. He said, you invited him. Yes. You asked him to come. Yes. Then worship him when he comes. Yes. Amen. He's worthy of worship on a Wednesday night. Yes. He's as worthy as he is any other time. Right. Amen. God bless you tonight. Genesis 49, 27. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey. At night he shall divide the spoil. 1 Samuel 9, 21. And Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? My family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? I pray the Lord would add his blessing to the word. And you may be seated this evening. I think a lot of things that we attribute to being the Lord leading us in our lives. I say a lot of things. Some of the things. If we would really examine our motives and what we do. Many times it's not the leadership of the Lord, but it's our nature and nurture that's making us the way that we are. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor that someone has come to me and say, Brother Ben, I feel led to do this. And you can show them in the Word that it's not meant for them to do that because the Word says no. And yet they say, well, this must be the Lord. And they continue on in it and many times are or find themselves in trouble and say, well, I wish I hadn't done that. And, but because we, we give more credit to the things 
that we think than yeah. what anybody else thinks. Sure. And because we were raised a certain way or we have certain DNA and certain genes within us, we tend to think a certain way. And that really we need to challenge ourselves. And that's part of what preaching the word is. And I want to do that a little bit tonight and, and, and challenge myself as well as the minister sitting here and also all of us that uh, as it comes to leadership that we need to make sure that it's not our own, just our own nature that we're leading by, but it's according to the word. Yeah. And so I want to speak to you tonight on on that, I want to speak to you about uh, about a ruling by fear, and 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 I want to just say up front that it's never uh, permissible to rule the people of God by fear. Let's go to First Samuel chapter eleven and verse one. First Samuel chapter eleven, and verse one. This is a uh, an indication of what will become Saul's failure to break the cycle of violence and disobedience in the family of Benjamin and it's foreshadowed in this story in 1 Samuel 11:1 1, it says then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead remember they were the ones who stayed on the other side of the Jordan River so they would have been west of the Jordan River and and they stayed there and or, or east rather of the Jordan River and they stayed there and they did not ever cross on over because they were uh, people who uh, had cattle and there was land there, but there's always a penalty to pay when you don't follow God completely. Right. So here they were, they were on the other side of the Jordan, and so there was not help immediately for them. And this Ammonite came up and, and said, and the men of Jabesh said to him, knowing they couldn't defeat him, they said, make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, on this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes. Yeah. We talk about brutal. Yeah. And lay it for a reproach upon all Israel. And you don't make deals with the devil. Yeah, right. Because this is what he wants to do. And the elders of Jabesh said unto him, Give us seven days respite, that we may send messengers unto all the coast of Israel. And then if there be no man to save us, we will come out to thee. And so you find Jabesh Gilead now, when, when Saul begins to hear about this, that's the place where the men of Benjamin had to go get wives after the Civil War that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Saul would have had family in that town. His, his, probably his mother or his grandmother perhaps had come from there, and so he would have had probably had family there. It would have meant something to him. Now, Brother Branham says this about the plucking out the eyesight. He said, that's what Satan tries to do to every Christian, pluck out his spiritual sight, that he can only follow the intellectual sense of things and not the sense of the Holy Spirit leading him. You realize when you do that, when you only follow the mind and wisdom of the mind, you're actually following blindly because that's not how you see God. You don't contact God with the five senses of the body, but you contact God by the sixth sense yeah. called faith. Yes, Amen. And so if he tries to take out your eyesight so that you only touch God by intellectual sense, and you can't touch God that way at all. 
And so we find this in the Laodicean age, that they were blind and didn't know it. And the Spirit warned them to anoint their eyes with eyesalves so they could see. And he said, Brother Branham said this about that. He said, I tell you, there's come a cold spell across the church, and coon grease will never work. But Jesus said, I counsel of you to buy me eyesalves. The Holy Spirit, you're becoming so blind, the church is, until it can't see God. It only, notice what it sees, it only sees its organization. It only sees that what it can see in front of us. You realize why people get in this doom and gloom and depression about where the bride is today? Because they're looking through organizational eyes. They've got this cold spell coming across them. All they can see is what's right in front of us. He said it never looks out yonder to the soon coming of the Lord. He said coon grease will never do that any good. But the salve of the Holy Spirit will open your eyes. Amen. And you can realize the presence of Jesus Christ. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God and he can salve your eyes with his Holy Spirit. Do you believe that tonight? Amen. He said you'll forget whether you were Methodist. Now watch when you get the eye salve. This goes into what we're going to talk about. He said, you'll forget whether you're a Methodist or a Baptist or a Oneness or a Twoness or a Threeness or Church of God or a Nazarene or a Pilgrim Holiness. You'll be a Christian. Born again of the kingdom of God. Take off your denominational blinders. So Saul hears this, that the eyes are going to be put out. He decides to deal with it. Now it needed to be dealt with, but it's how he dealt with it. It's where the problem comes in. So he said, Then came the messengers to Gibeah of Saul and told the tidings in the ears of the people. All the people lifted up their voices and wept. And behold, Saul came out. Now notice, this is important, came after the herd out of the field. Now why would Saul come after the herd out of the field? Remember, uh, he 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 was a cattleman. They had cattle, and we know they had donkeys because he was looking for his father's donkeys when Samuel first anointed him to be king. And here he was driving cattle. Saul drove cattle. David led sheep. And it's important insight into their style of leadership. And it shows the difference between God-called men and denominational men. Denominational men drive cattle. God called men lead sheep. Yeah. All right. Sure. right. Now they Saul come after the herd out of the field, and Saul said, What aileth the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings. The Spirit of God. Yeah. Not the Spirit of a devil, but the Spirit of God. But notice his anger was kindled greatly. So the Spirit of God came on him. But it was his anger that was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coast of Israel with the hands of messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. Seems like a good thing. I'm so glad we had a prophet in this day. You see, methods matter. Matters how we do what we do. Yes. Notice Brother Branham in the message, The Rejected King, which 
I know some of you have been listening to, and it'd be a good one to listen to as we go through this about Saul. But the Bible says, so then when they did that, when the great defeat come, then Saul cut up two great ox and sent them to all the people. He said, and I wish you would notice here, when Saul sent the pieces of the ox to all Israel, said, let every man that will not follow Samuel and Saul, let him, this ox be as this. He said, do you see how deceitfully he tried to represent himself with the man of God? How unchristian it was. Right? And you wouldn't just get that so much from the text. But then when you look at it, Brother Branham being a prophet, he sees a deeper meaning behind this. And he says this was an unchristian act. He said the fear of the people was because of Samuel. But Saul got them all to follow him because the people feared Samuel. Let them come after Samuel and Saul. And how many times today, he said, have we heard it? We are the great church. We are the church of Christ. We are the church of God. We are the so-and-so. It makes the people get a fear and think that is really where God is working. He said, and they don't want the leadership of the Holy Spirit. They'd rather follow men like that because they like to live their own individual life. It doesn't make sense, does it? You would think that if they wanted to live their own individual life, they'd follow the Holy Spirit. But actually, they find that when they just let a man tell them what to do, that they actually, it's easier. It becomes an easy believism where they don't have any part in it themselves. It doesn't matter what they do when they go to church or even if they go to church. It's a set of standards that they go by. A man has decreed this is what's going to happen and this is what you're going to do. And the people just all obey it because they're afraid because he identifies himself as a message preacher. Are you hearing me tonight? Yeah. They like to live their own individual life. Yeah. And they like to believe what they want to believe. Yes. So rather than be convicted by the Holy Spirit for their own life, let's let a man tell us what to do because we can pick the man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you with me now? You can follow whoever you want to. But if yeah. you follow the Holy Spirit, you have to follow the Word. That's right. That's right. Now let's dig a little bit deeper into this tonight. Now... Saul used three things to manipulate the people by fear into his cause, into the battle. And it was a good cause. I want you to notice that tonight. It was a good cause. Something the people should have rallied to. But he did it in the wrong way. He used his temper. Right? He used influence. The influence particularly of Samuel. And he used finances. And let's look at those. Now, a case could be made that this needed to be done. As I said, it was a good cause. And that's how every denomination on earth has ever been formed. A case could be made that they needed to organize. Every denomination on earth went this same way. Right? You could make a logical case for it, but God hates it. Right? Now, and there's some things, and I'm just telling you this as a pastor, because there's things I would like to do, but it's not the word to do it, right? And so we don't do it, because not because it wouldn't be good. It might be good. It might attract more people, but we don't do it because the word says no, right? Now, the, the assemblies of God, if you look at just that one denomination, not to pick on them tonight, but just to see how a denomination is formed. If you go to the Assembly of God Wikipedia page, it tells us 
The Assemblies of God has its roots in the Pentecostal Azusa Street Revival of the early 20th century. Established churches generally did not welcome the Pentecostal aspects of the revival, and participants in the new movement soon found themselves forced outside existing religious bodies. Those people sought out their own places of worship and founded hundreds of distinctly Pentecostal congregations. So about the year 1914, ministers and laymen alike began to realize just how far-reaching the spread of revival of Pentecostalism had become. Remember, it happened in 1906. And so just a few years later, about eight years later, here they're standing there saying, this has gone worldwide. It's become a movement. And so about 300 preachers decided that they, they would meet in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And this is the way the article puts it. It said, concerned leaders felt the desire to protect and preserve the results of the revival by uniting through cooperative fellowship. And so now... They, uh, about 300 preachers and, and some laymen from 20 states and several foreign countries met for a general council there in Hot Springs and a remaining fellowship emerged and was incorporated under the name General Council of the Assemblies of God in the United States of America. A few years later, F.F. Bosworth, by the way, was one of the founders of that. A few years later, he left it because they ca cabbaged down on speaking in tongues, yeah. being the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost. I believe that's why Brother Branham had such respect for that man. Because he was there from the very beginning and he saw that that where that was going and, and he left that organization. But now that, that fellowship come out. But they said, we've got, to, we've got to set the parameters. Here's a revival. Let's set the parameters of it. Here's something that needs to be done. Let's do it. That don't always mean we have to act. We wait to see what the Lord wants to do. And it's never right to act in a denominational way. Now, they left that meeting thinking, thinking they'd won a great victory. And many of them today look back at that and say, look where we are now. Yeah. There are some 70 million people in that denomination now. Yeah. But Brother Branham identified it as the day they died. Yeah. Yeah. He said, that's where you latter rain, brethren, made your mistake. That's where you assemblies of God made your mistake. That's where you oneness made your mistake. That's where you church of God prophecies and all you made your mistake. You saw the supernatural done, and you wanted to draw a little ring around it and say, this is us. Why don't you leave it alone? He said, if it's not of God, it'll come to naught. And if it is of God, how can you uproot it? It'll stand forever. And you see, so at that time, there was some that was against speaking in tongues. There was some that's for speaking in tongues. So the devil worked both ways. Those that were against it stayed in the holiness movement, denominated and died in the Nazarenes and the pilgrim holiness. And those that were for it went into denominationalism and made it the initial evidence, and they died too. Yes. Right. Right? It's the spirit of Nimrod in Babel. Let's build a tower and protect what we have and build it up. Yes. Because we don't trust the sovereignty of God to keep us. But I pray that we would always trust the sovereignty of God. If this message is meant to be, then it's meant to be led by spirit-filled men and not a denomination, but every church sovereign in itself. Every totalitarian religious or political system began at the Tower of Babel. Let's build a tower. You see where it ends up. Even Peter, when he saw Jesus, do you remember with Moses and Elijah on Mount Transfiguration, he said, let's build three tabernacles. All of a sudden, he was Trinitarian. Let's build three tabernacles. Uh, he wanted to make a denomination. And that's what Brother Branham said. And when he, when I, that quote I read to you, that's what he's dealing with. He said, that's the same thing they did. 
They saw something supernatural in the move of the Spirit, but they wanted to, to quantify it. They wanted to say when it could and couldn't happen. They wanted to say that it was the evidence of the Holy Ghost. Hope you're hearing me now. Now, and Brother Branham deals with that. Now, the first thing that Saul dealt with is, or he dealt by, the first thing that he used was his temper. Temper is a tool of manipulation for a certain type of leadership. God help us that it would never be us. The Bible says his anger was kindled greatly. Now, again, it was a move of God. God moved on him. The Spirit of the Lord moved on him. But he used denominational methods because that's what he knew. That's who he was. Am I not a Benjamite? Use those same denominational methods. He saw what the people were doing, so he attempted to cure it using denominational means. Now, there's three things tonight you should never do in anger. Correct your spouse. You just let that sit for a while. Aren't you glad you'd come, Brother Stewart, and didn't have another flat tire? Spank your kids. Huh? Or preach a sermon. Right? It's three things you should never do in anger. And I know of churches, and I just want to preach to you from my heart tonight, but I know of churches where the entire congregations have submitted to unscriptural doctrine simply because they're afraid of the pastor's temper if they bring it up. Yes, sir. I don't just happen in the message. It happens everywhere. There are businesses run that way, by the way. I used to work for a man like that. The people did what he wanted them to, whether it was the right thing to do or not, because they were afraid to mention it to him because of his temper if they brought it up. But the Bible tells us, and this is always true, by the way, no matter how bad people do, no matter how much it makes you mad, the Bible says the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. James 1.20. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Period. Right? Look at Moses in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 7. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, gather thou the assembly together. Thou and Aaron thy brother speak you unto the rock. Notice, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. Thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them. Now notice, he was told to speak to the rock. But instead of speaking to the rock, he spoke to the people. And smote the rock. Oh my. And he said, here now you rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Gets up in the pulpit. <laughs> I think every one of us, we've lived long enough, we've seen it. And I, wouldn't, I would dare to say that most preachers have done it at some point or another. I'm just being honest with you. You get up there and you're going to make a correction, man. And instead of praying about it, instead of, instead of getting divine intervention about it, they speak to the people. Yeah, sure. Am I going to have to do everything for you? They say. <laughs> Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? 
Moses lifted up his hand with his rod. He smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly. God blessed it immediately. Did not rebuke him before the people. The congregation drank and their beasts also. But God pulled Moses aside and Aaron. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believed me not. Look how he goes right to the heart of the issue. The reason why you rebuked the people like you did was because you didn't believe me. I told you what to preach. I told you to preach the promises of God. To speak to the rock and it would bring forth water. I hope you hear me tonight. As ministers, we have a responsibility. Speak to the rock. The rock is Christ. The word is Christ. Speak to the rock. Preach the word. Paul says, be instant in season, out of season. Preach the word. But instead of preaching the word, he spoke to the people. He rebuked the people. God pulled him aside and said, you didn't believe me. You didn't believe me to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. He said, look, God told Moses, you go down there, this anointed prophet. You go down there and speak to that rock. It's already been smitten. Moses went down there in his anger, picked up the rod and said, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And smote the rock. The water didn't come. He smote it again. It came. It was against God's will. It broke every plan in the Bible. Christ had to be smitten a second time. See, he said Christ was smitten once. It broke the whole plan, but he gave him his permissive will. He said, then after he said, we got the water for you. Yeah, I brought it for you, you bunch of rebels. God said, come here, Moses, come here. Come up here on top. He said, you've been a faithful servant. And he typed it to the dream that his mother had. You remember about the woman with high-heeled shoes? She walked up the steps, but she couldn't stay with the word. And so she fell off. Right? He typed it to that. He said, you've been a faithful servant. He said, like the woman with the high heels, you climbed. He said, look over yonder. See the promised land? Oh, Lord. But you're not going over. You took my permissive will. Didn't mean he wasn't a man of God, but he shouldn't have treated the people like that. He said, you're not going over. You took my permissive will down here at the rock. You glorified yourself, see, and not me. You sanctified yourself. You didn't sanctify me. You didn't keep my original word, what I told you to do. Yet the waters did come. You can lay hands on the sick and they recover. You can prophesy or speak with tongues. But the thing is, keep his original word. God don't change his mind, friend. He said, you've got to keep his commission, his will. Oh, well, that was for the disciples. He doesn't change. Hey, man, if he's still got a disciple, does he still have a disciple tonight? If he's still got a disciple, that's the same commission. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel. These signs shall follow them that believe. It's never changed. He can't change. You can say, well, I tell you it ain't for this day. He said, oh, you Balaamite. You see, God don't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, sir. So, now as, as we, so that was the first thing he used was anger, temper. Be careful what you attribute to God. Yeah. Yeah. I learned that lesson the hard way coming up. And I know I, I've mentioned that before. But you, you've got to be careful. I come up the way I did for a reason. Yeah. I've seen the dark side of preachers. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. But I'm here in spite of that. Yes. I don't believe this message because I was raised in it. And I did have a godly mother and, and a wonderful mother, but I, I didn't believe this message because I was raised in it. Yeah. I was shown the bad side of it. I was shown everything wrong about it. But I believe this message because I believe it's true. Yes. 
God come to my heart. When I got the Holy Ghost, the message of the hour opened it up to me. It didn't lead me away from it. It led me to it. Amen. And so that's exactly why I believe what I believe. But be careful what you attribute to God. Sometimes we just, we just get in the flesh. And people need to know that it's in the flesh. Be careful about being super spiritual. But somebody tell me one time, well, I don't want to not say those things in the pulpit because if I, if I stop saying them, maybe sometimes it's God. No, you need to, you need to get control over your tongue. Yeah. Right, yeah. and, and I'm not talking about, because I get, you know, we have to preach the word, and sometimes it feels like you just got skinned, yeah. Yeah. right? And sometimes that's the way, Brother Brown calls it a scouring out, yeah. Yeah. right? We've got to do that, but it's got to be done preaching the word, yeah. speaking to the rock, yeah. not just out of temper, right? right? So now, uh, here's, and God don't use denominational means, right? He don't want your temper. He wants, to, he wants the space created when you realize you got a temper and you say, help me, Lord. Yes. God will use the vacancy. He don't use the temper. Yes. Amen. Yes. <laughs> and he may, and I know Jesus got mad and, or, or he, he went and whipped the people, and I've told you before, if you're able to do that without sinning, God bless you. I'd have a hard time doing that. If you can take a cat of nine tails and, and run out the money changers in the church without sinning, Without getting in the heat of the moment, getting in the flesh, then praise God. There's a reason why nobody else ever did it. Now, the second thing he used was his influence. Yes. By identifying himself with Samuel. Now, every one of us, and I want you to listen to me tonight. You say, I'm not a preacher. This isn't for me. But it is for us. Because every one of us have influence in some way or another. And every one of us carry the influence of the message with us. Right? Sure. We carry the influence of this message with us. Right. Wherever we go, we speak this message. Yes. Whether it's here or on a mission trip across the seas, right. we are witnesses of this message, what it does. Right. Whatever you believe, you can't separate a man from his message. Yes. Whatever you believe and what you manifest is a result of what you believe. Right. right? And so we, we present this message to the world. So on some level, our influence comes because we could be just another holiness church, just another, uh, another evangelical church, just another Pentecostal church. And you could identify us maybe as all of those things. You've ever, if you've ever been asked the question, what kind of church are you? Yeah. You might say, well, we're something like the Baptist. We're something like the Pentecostal. We're something like this or that. You might say, I believe the message of the hour. People, most people won't know what you're talking about. But you identify yourself with that. And once they come to know who Brother Branham was and what he taught, then, they, then there's a certain amount of, of respect or maybe a certain amount of, uh, of disrespect that comes with that. Right? And so you're identified with it. Yes, but be careful what you do in the name of the message. Yes, yes sir. Yes. Taking the Lord's name in vain in the Old Testament is more than just saying cuss words. But it's doing things in the name of the Lord that are, that, that are wrong. Right? Not living what, you, what you're preaching. And doing it in the name of the Lord. Right? There's a, it's a terrible sin. Yes. To do something in the name of the Lord that's actually not the Lord yes. is to take the name of God in vain. Now, Saul identified himself with Samuel. He says, I'm with the prophet. Yeah. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and, 
and said, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel. And the fear of the Lord fell, fell on the people. And Brother Branham, as we read, said the people came out of fear of Samuel. Many men have went out preaching, using Brother Branham's name yeah. to get the people to follow them. Yeah. That's right. Yes, sir. Right, because of some association they had with him when he was alive, they did it when he was alive. Yeah, yeah. Right. sure. Right? Uh, Brother Branham tells how difficult the ministry was because others wanted to use his name to draw crowds. And he said it this way. He said many times they fixed an auditorium, advertised in the paper. I'm to be, he said, I don't even know nothing about it. Yeah. And then the people begin to call me and say, well, Brother Branham, you're advertised in the paper. He said, oh, that hurts me. Yes. Oh, that hurts me. Yeah. He tells a story about a lady in Pennsylvania that went off and she decided that uh, she was going to hold a meeting. And so what she did, she advertised Brother Branham would be there. And the first night, the people showed up, and he wasn't there, and she preached. And the second night, and uh, he, he said she called everybody the second day. said, well, I know Brother Branham wasn't here last night, but he's on his way. And the people all got there, and she preached. <laughs> and, and Brother Branham, you, you imagine how that would hurt him, and he hears about it. He never agreed to go. But she was just using his name. Yeah. But today we do that with quotes. Yeah. Sure. Taken out of context. Yeah. To associate ourselves with a prophet. Yeah. And that's the only semblance of what, what he was saying when he said it that yeah. even exists anymore. It's just that it got Brother Branham's name attached to it. Yeah. Because we've used it completely opposite to any way Brother Branham would have ever used it. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Are you with me? I know this is a little bit different, but the Lord's been moving. But I believe these things will be grounded and settled, you know. And then the Lord, that's when the Lord moves. You put things in order and things are right. And, and, I, and I just, I, Sunday just thrilled my heart. And the last Sunday as well, God's moving. Let, let's, let's make sure that, that we're right where we need to be at the time that God moves. Now, now people use quotes. And then disfellowship people who disagree with their version of what the prophet said, me and Samuel. That personal vendettas against them call them Balaam, motivating the people to a spiritual battle by fear. And the people, many times, and I, I, I don't know whether to be amused or to be saddened, I'm mostly saddened, but I see young preachers, especially under these systems, that, and they'll come out and say, well, uh, well, you know, uh, they'll preach this about Bel Peor, about going up and fellowshipping with other message churches. Yeah. And I, I just, this is just an example of what's done. But it's done in many places and in many ways. But, well, if, you're, if you fellowship with, in certain name of the person you hate, you're going to the Feast of Bel Peor. I can't stand that because I've been told that so many times. As I said, I've been around. Right? And well, if you fellowship with this, this certain group, whatever it is, you're going to the Feast of Bel Pure, you're, you're like Balaam. Brother Branham said, huh? we use quotes to say I'm with Brother Branham, but I challenge you because I looked at almost every one of them this week. Every time Brother Branham, I believe he talks about Balaam 306 times, if I'm not mistaken. And I looked at every one of them this week to look and see. I can't find a place where Brother Branham says used that in relation to fellowship with local churches yeah. or between pastors who believe in the opening of the word yeah. 
You remember, and again, it's just an example, but we don't, we don't need to follow this. We don't need to follow it. And you say, well, Brother Ben, what should we do? Should we separate? No. He said, somebody's calling me a Balaam. I got I preachers that do that with me. And he called me a Balaam because I fellowship with different people. You know what? You can call me that. I'll go fellowship with you. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Am I a Balaam for coming to your meeting? And I actually would encourage that because the people don't understand. They sit there and think, oh, well, it's the first time I've ever heard it. I've heard every preacher, every backslidden preacher that lost confidence in the word to hold the people yeah. uses the same argument. Yeah. Everybody else is wrong. Yeah. Right. I don't know. There's a lot of wrong out there. But I know what's right. Yeah. Yeah. And whether you get it from me or from somebody else, this is right. Yes, sir. That's right. And there are people who literally are afraid to come to meetings at our church because the pastor somewhere, and I don't say it's a local pastor, but there's pastors out there who will say that it's the Feast of Belpure, you're going up to fellowship with Balaam and his bunch. And Brother Branham never uses it in that context. Yes. Go look it up. Now, Moab didn't have a brass serpent. They had no atonement. We believe the message. We're preaching from the same scripture, believing the message. Now, if you go up and fellowship with someone who has no atonement, and Brother Branham said the foolish virgin, you remember, uh, had rejected the atonement of the hour, the fullness of the atonement. And that's why they had to go through the tribulation period. Now, you can go be a light. I'll go sometimes to these southern gospel concerts and Baptist people, and, and you feel the spirit of the Lord sometimes in those places. You raise your hand and, and worship with them, and, and all be there together, but you don't have much in common. Right? There's just not much there. Yeah. But, but with message people, and I'm not talking about, about strange ideas and nonsense. I've separated from things like that before, and I'm not afraid to do it again. But I'm talking about people who believe the opening of the Word. Yeah. People who believe like we do, but they're a little bit different in their manner of worship or different. But Branham had, I think, four churches in his own hometown yeah. who disagreed with him on church order. And Brother Branham put it this way. He said, if every one of the people in this church went to those churches, he said, we'd just fill it up again. Praise God. Yeah. Sure. I don't have, I honestly, I don't have an itch to preach to a huge crowd. And we may, we may have a huge crowd. I don't have nothing against it either. It, it is easier. <laughs> preach to a bunch of people. I know these people were hoping I'd get well, these preachers, on a Wednesday night. But didn't Brother Stewart do a good job last Wednesday night yeah. preaching to us? Amen. Brother Joel on Sunday night as well. I feel like I can go, I can go take a month's vacation. I'd be all right. But, uh, but what, what is it? What did Moab have or what did they not have that Israel had? Here's what Brother Branham said was the difference. He said, what was the difference? Fundamentally both right. He said, but Moab did not have the vindication of God with them. They were only a nation, a group of celebrities, but Israel had a prophet with them. I, I, we could put it this way. They had the prophet, yeah. right, which is the messenger of the age. Balaam was a prophet. Israel had a prophet. Listen, they had a smitten rock. They had a pillar of fire. They had a brass serpent for healing. They had the blessings of God moving right along with them, and they was the called-out children of God. Yeah. Now, just imagine with me for a moment, because Brother Branham never identifies going to the Feast of Bel Peor as being... Uh, the difference between Moab and, and Israel as being totally moral, morality, they were the same. Yes. Right. 
They both had a mixed multitude. Some that lived it and some didn't. Right? And you've got to be careful about separating from people because we say, well, they've had things happen and, and there's, been, uh, there's been problems in their church and, and so we're holy. You know, nothing ever happens to us. Well, nothing that you hear about. Yeah. Right? And if you can imagine a Moabite going down into the camp of Israel and being there on the day that Aaron builds a golden calf, they happen to go to church on the day that Aaron decides to build a golden calf because Moses is gone. Half the people end up getting swallowed up that day. The music was terrible. Playing a bunch of rock and roll music around a golden calf. You, you, would, you could be excused if you were a Moabite. Going out there and looking at all that and saying, these people aren't God's people. Brother Branham said they saw men that had married other men's wives. They saw all the, the immorality of Israel because they looked at the hundred parts of Israel. And Balaam said, surely God will curse them. And God wouldn't even let him. Yeah. So he invited them up to a feast and said, we're all the same. Yes. And we're not all the same because we have a prophet. Yeah. We have a smitten rock. Yes. We have a brass serpent. Yes, sir. He said they had a brass serpent for healing. They had the blessings of God moving right along with them. They were the called out children of God. Yes, sir. But remember, it was not Moses that wasn't brotherly to Moab. It was Moab who said, Don't you can't pass. Right. Right. That's right. <laughs> Moab is denomination. Every time Brother Branham types it to that. Yeah. In the Feast of Belpure, he, he said it's an ecumenical move. And they called him up and he said, You Pentecostals are going right along with it. Right. The people that used to laugh at you and make fun of you, right? Like Balaam did. But, they, but now they become the ecumenical move. And Brother Branham's standing there preaching right to the group. We explained it a few weeks ago, a few months ago, that become that ecumenical move that become the charismatic movement. Ended up wedded with the Catholics. Today where there's no difference. Right? right? That was the Balaam move. That's what he called it. I don't say there couldn't be some people anointed with the same spirit today. Even around the message. But the call to not fellowship was the call to come out of denominationalism. Come out of her, my people. Be not partaker of her plagues. Not because somebody uses different music than you do. Or somebody has drums and you don't. Or somebody preaches a little bit longer than you like. That's called sovereignty. Local church sovereignty. We used to laugh at people who wouldn't come to our churches because we had a fellowship hall or Christmas trees. But now I see people doing the same thing about music. Yeah. Or about how many emotions are in the service or some minor doctrine. Yeah. Huh. But the, you say, so it's a good cause. The people, are, did you see the people? They were dancing in front of a golden camp. But they were God's people. Yeah. Some of them were anyway. Yeah. True. <laughs> Be careful talking about God's people. Yeah. It's a good cause. So was Saul's. But a prophet said he was deceitful. And it showed he never broke that denominational curse. Yes. Because his methods were still denominational. I've been told that if we fellowship with others, other churches locally, that we're as guilty as they are. Whatever they do, we're guilty of it. Well, I know guilt by association, but I think you've carried it a little bit too far. That was Balaam's argument, by the way. Again, did you hear the music down at the golden calf? Their high priest made a golden calf. What if a Moabite saw that? Surely God will curse them. I tell you what, people need to repent of a critical spirit. If guilt by association was the rule, Brother Branham was as guilty as the modern charismatic movement. Because of the full gospel businessmen. 
who were funding him and also funding the modern charismatic movement at the same time. You could point out, I won't name names tonight, but you can point out people around Brother Branham's inner circle that we would look at today and say, you need to disassociate yourself with them. Yes. And Brother Branham let them be used by God to get the message out. That's right. <laughs> Guilt by association, that's nonsense. Preach the word. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you where you can and can't go to church. I'll encourage you to go to meetings. There's some meetings I may not encourage you to go to. But you know what? You're, you're the bride of Christ. Huh? You can't be deceived. You can't fall. I hate to believe that or I don't. And God told Moses you got angry. You didn't believe me. When I said speak to the rock, you, you hollered at the people. You didn't believe me. Oh, God, help us to that we believe him today. Yes. See, we'll never get this thing done by human effort. That's right. We're never by the efforts of a pastor guarding the people, telling them where they can and can't go to a meeting, where they can and can't go to church, what car to buy. That human effort is never going to get people in a rapture. It's never going to get people where they need to be with God. I've watched it over the years. And the more human effort the pastor puts into it, it seems like the farther the people get away from God because they learn to hide things and keep it away. But if the preacher will just preach the word and let it fall where it may, if the preacher will preach the gospel, what happens is the people that are God's begin to live by it. And the mixed multitude goes on and does their thing. But there's got to be somebody that's going to live it. Somebody that's going to go in a rapture. Might as well be us tonight. There's got to be somebody that will worship God. There may be many who do it wrong. There may be many who get the music wrong and the, and, and the dancing wrong and the, and the shouting wrong and everything else. But it don't stop me from shouting when it's time to shout. When it's appropriate. It don't stop me from worshiping God when it's appropriate. It don't stop me from fellowshipping with my brothers. I believe it. I'm supposed to believe in an open book, the opening of the word, and I can't even fellowship with people who believe literally the same thing. God doesn't put his, his church in the hands of men who manhandle it. It's a virgin bride. Oh, I wish you could hear my heart tonight. The word, I have such a respect for the word. I hope you see that. Uh, the word is so good. I wish I could preach it like I want to. <laughs> Brother Bram said, Nikeo means to conquer. Leo means the laity. Nicolaitan means to conquer the laity. He said, now why is this such a terrible thing? It's terrible because God has a, never, someone say never. never. He has never placed his church in the hands of an elected leadership yeah. which moves with political mindedness. We're going to schedule something on the same day so the people can't go. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> He's placed his church in the care of God ordained. Yeah. Spirit filled. God help me today. Yes. Word living men who lead the people through feeding them the word. Saul drove cattle. <laughs> but David fed sheep. Yes. You know why sheep follow the shepherd, Brother Joe? It's because he leads them to green pastures. He leads them beside the still waters so they learn to trust him. And yes, sometimes he's got to go after one. Sometimes he's got to break a leg. But it's his love for them. He's not behind them, driving them. He's in front of them. Oh, that the ministers of the message of the hour could be in front of the people, not behind them, but doing it first. Yes. 
Uh, let, let us be the ones who do it. If somebody's going to live it, let me live it. If somebody's going to portray the, the, the love and joy and peace, let me not just preach about it, but let me do it, Lord. Let me manifest it by going places where I'm uncomfortable. Huh. I went places where I was so uncomfortable with the music that I left during a, a song, went to the bathroom, and I couldn't even, it, it just sounded like a, a bar to me. I'm old-fashioned in my music choices. And I think that would be a mistake to bring that into the house of God. I think it would. Those are God's people. I'll preach the truth. Those are God's people. Are you hearing me? Well, it got quiet there for a minute. God don't care about my opinions. If I can't prove it by the word, I've got to keep my mouth shut. I like short services. Couldn't prove that by tonight, could you? I like short services. But, but that don't, you know, and, and, and I got quotes where I can identify myself with a prophet. And if you don't preach 45 minutes, you're out. Right? I could do that. But I got other quotes. Well, Brother Brandon said if it was elect, you could preach as long as you wanted to. So, but, but see, it's just you're identifying yourself with a prophet to, to push your own personal opinion. Right. Yes. Well, I'm going to get in trouble for this. <laughs> but I'm not preaching to, to the people. I'm preaching to those of us who aren't here tonight, but of our own people. But I'm not preaching for other people. I'm preaching for us. We need to know what the ground that we're on is settled. I appreciate y'all. Y'all ask me things and, and get advice from me. I appreciate that. But I'm 36 years old. There may be a brother in here that knows more than I do. Huh. I'm just being honest with you. And, and hopefully I'd have the humility to point you to somebody else. Say, hey, you know, this other brother may think about it. Now, I do appreciate you asking me because sometimes I know things that I don't tell. Ain't that good? <laughs> don't you appreciate that? Huh? So sometimes I would know something about why a person wouldn't be good for a certain position or, or something like that. I know that, so I appreciate you asking me. But you understand that God put me in this position, but there are other people who have a voice. Yeah. My wife does. If my wife had never had a better idea than me, I would never listen to her. But the truth is she does. A lot of times. Maybe most of the time. So I just pretend not to listen. Right? But, but, you know, and that's how, by the way, you wives, that's how you get your husband to do things that you want done. Make, it, make them think it's their idea. Right? Feed them the word. <laughs> now, what was the third thing? <laughs> Finances. Use finances. That's not so evident, but look, he said, this is what will happen to your oxen. The oxen was the main economic engine. Yeah. That's like taking away your work truck. Yeah. Right? It's like telling Brother Joe, I'm going to take away your truck. Yeah. I'm going to come and beat it with a hammer. It'll be more beat up than it is already. <laughs> I'm going to take, take the tires off. If you don't come to church today, I'm going to take the tires off. Right, right. <laughs> I'm going to quit giving you an offering. What's he doing? He's using financial means yeah, right. to install fear in the people. Yeah. It's a direct economic threat. 
Remember that this is not God's way, it's Satan's way. And this is the last thing I'll address and then we'll close. But you remember Jericho, when, when Joshua came up against it, Jericho shut up the city when Joshua came. But the Ram said, what happened? He said, now they were shut up. No revival is going to happen here. Yeah. Our denomination won't sponsor such. Yes. We'll pull the funding. Yes. We'll not have that kind of nonsense among us. I forbid any of you to go to that meeting. He said, Jericho, right in the line of the damned. Yes. That's pretty strong. I have personal experience with money being used as a tool to try to control my ministry. I thank God that I've not bowed to that. But I'll be honest with you, it was a temptation because I've never had a lot of money. I know what that's like. And brothers that are overseas, I know some of them listen to this, and Lord willing, we're praying about taking a mission trip this, this summer. But I've seen this used overseas, and if you're watching this today, brothers, that, that if I have any influence at all, or if the message of the hour has any influence at all, stay away from control by money. If a church in the U.S. wants to control what you preach or who you have preached for you because of money, yep. by money, and they tell you who you can and can't have in, right. disassociate yourself. Yes. Be right. independent. You'd be better off. You see, control by money is what the Antichrist uses at the end time. Those without the mark will not be allowed to buy or sell. Jesus never used it. Yeah. Right. Huh. He, he never used it to keep Judas in line. Even though Judas was stealing from him. He never used money. He said, if they ask you for your coat, give them your cloak also. He said, don't let the right hand know what the left hand's doing. Right? Right? And and I've watched with admiration men that have done it right in this message. Because there's many that do it right. And I've watched when they do it right that that the church many times doesn't even know where the money goes. And I've tried to be open and honest about it because I, I don't want people to think I'm just taking, that's a fear of mine. Maybe, maybe it's just me getting in the flesh, but I don't like people thinking I'm taking their money. I can work. And so it's, it's difficult for me. I don't like to take even the tithing. I, I have a difficult time taking it. But I'd rather be that way than, than not care. But it's just a personal challenge for me. But, but I've been trying to be open about it. But I've watched many of the men, you don't even know what they've done. They've built churches and, 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 and sponsored people going overseas. Some of them paid evangelists and, and helped out evangelists, and you never knew about it. Yeah. And, 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 and we've done some of that ourselves. And again, I, I don't like to talk about it, but it, because it's one of those things you shouldn't have to talk about. It should just be done, but not with strings attached. Yes, right. Jesus never did that. Paul never did that. He worked with his hands to avoid it. Yes. In fact, the only thing money-wise that we find him ever doing is going collecting an offering yep. yes. from the churches of the Gentiles, which were much more wealthy for the Jewish church. Yes. But you don't find him ever handing out money, and because in that day that was the common practice. It was called uh, patronage. Go look it up. The patronage system. A man, that's how he'd become a senator in Rome or, or, or a great man. He, he gave out money. It was patronage. That's what a lot of, the way a lot of missionary work is done, denominationally. We don't do that. Huh. I have to say it in a way I'm not, I'm not angry. I really am not tonight. But I have to say it in a way that will the people understand. Even the people I work with don't expect a handout. Be careful when a pastor employs everybody in the church. 
can make them go anywhere he wants to and root them up and move them to another part of the country. Yeah. Be careful of get-rich-quick schemes uh, that involve the pastor or the other ministry. But the Brandon says this about it, and I'm closing. I, I know it's been long tonight. Excuse me for that. He said, I don't care if they take my fellowship card. I have to lay on my stomach and drink branch water. How many of you have heard him say this before? And drink branch water and eat soda crackers instead of riding around in a big car with a big salary. I don't care what the price is. That system drove me away from you. And that system of denominationalism, when a man begins moving in that realm, the church dies every time. It dies. Because a man's moving as a denominator. That's why businessmen don't always make great preachers. Just because you are successful in business don't mean you'll be successful as a preacher. But the Bible said businessmen invaded the pulpit. There may be a man who can't stack two cents together, but he's still a preacher of the gospel. Paul or Peter rather set the example, Peter and James, when they said silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you. He said, I don't care what the price was. That system drove me away from you. And I want you to think about it. What is it about your, the, the, your family, about your background, maybe the denomination you come out of, maybe the church you were part of growing up in the message? What is it about that that holds you back from God? It's a belief system. It's something, but it made you hate your brother. It made you look down on people. Right. It made you not have the spirit of Christ. You need to let go of that. He said, that system drove me away from you. That denominational system where uh, there's a pecking order of man over man. But what I found many times is that 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 exists. There becomes a hierarchy, and you've got to fight against that. But then even the people who preach against it, it becomes one. Because they wanted to be on the top of the hierarchy. He said, I don't care what the price is. That system drove me away from you. Think about it tonight. What drove, what, what keeps you away from the presence of God? I know you're Christians tonight, but what is it that keeps you away from really being in the presence of God? Is it, is it doubts about preachers because of something, some way you were raised? Is it you can't handle men because men have treated you badly? You can't handle a church because the church has treated you badly? What keeps you back? That system drove you away from Christ. Take me back again, Lord. I'll believe your word. Revenge, my eyes just been put out. Let me die with it. Why did, why did Saul use these methods? He learned it in the Civil War, even though he wasn't alive yet. Benjamin, it was their nature to raven as a wolf. And you remember what happened a few weeks ago when the Levite cut up his concubine? The gruesome story. Sent her out. Saul's the only other man that I can find that did the same thing. You think where you're raised and where you come up don't matter? It does matter. He heard that story and how it rallied the people together. He said, if it happened then, it could happen for me. Men, maybe, who that denominational spirit lays dormant for years and years. But maybe not even them. Maybe it's their parents. Or some message preacher that worked in a denominational way. And that lays dormant for years and years. But then a challenge comes against them and they say, i got to rally the church. We're, we're, we're not in revival. Something's going wrong. And so what they do is they begin to move in a denominational way. Because that's still, they've never broken the cycle. 
They've never really died, but Paul, who did break the cycle. Yes, and we'll get to him after a while, the Lord willing. Paul broke the cycle of being a Benjamite. He broke the denominational cycle, and he said, I counted everything I learned as done yeah. so that I might have Christ. I gave up everything, my methods, everything else, so that I might have Christ. Hallelujah. And he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Oh, don't you want to be built by the grace of God? Musicians, go ahead and come. Brother Brown said, not for one moment do I bring a message to the people that they may follow me or join my church or start some fellowship and organization. I have never done that and will not do that now. I have no interest in those things, but I do have an interest in the things of God and people. And if I can accomplish just one thing, I will be satisfied. That one thing is to see established a true spiritual relationship between God and men, wherein men become new creations in Christ, filled with His Spirit. Oh, that's what we want, isn't it? That's the kind of church that we want. That's the kind of pastors that we want. That's the kind of people that we want. Somebody who can be a new creation in Christ, filled with His Spirit, and live according to His Word. Oh, my. But the Branham tells the story of a boy that run a race. You've heard it, I'm sure. He preached it in an Easter sermon. A boy was running the race, and, and he found out about this race. And you had to be told a password because the point was to test their IQ, to see what their IQ was. And so they said, you're going to have to run this race. At the end of it, you've got to be able to give the password, and they'll let you in. So the boy said, I can do this. I'm strong. I'm athletic. He goes and he trains, and he works on his muscles. He works on his speed. He learns how to hold his breath. He learns how to, how, to, how to do things just right. So like you would if you were training to run. But he forgot to remember the password. And he runs. He runs. He outruns the other boys by miles. And he gets to the end. And they said, okay, you've made it. And I'm sure as he was nearing the gate, he thought, oh, I made it. I did it. My methods worked. But he got to the end and and had no password. But the Brandon said the password was the message he has risen. Oh my. The password was the message he has risen from the dead. And in all of our denominational political machining and, and working around and maneuvering all of our Machiavellian plans and, and, and drawing things out and, and figuring things out, how we can move against this movement, how we can move against this one, how we can have more people in our church than the other church, how we can, how we can make people come to our church in all of our political movement. Have we forgotten that the message is he is risen? And if I can get a risen living Christ, as Brother Joel talked about Sunday night, if I can get you to see a living body of Christ on the earth, then it don't matter where you go to church. Not to me. It matters to you. You need to go to a gospel church, but it don't matter to me. Because you've seen a resurrected Christ. Are you with me now? And if we could fill this place up with people who could get the message, He is risen. And then they all went somewhere else and we filled it up again. We've done our job. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Do you love him tonight? Amen. 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 Let's, let's stand together. I, I usually close by, with prayer, but let's just, let's just worship for a moment. And I, I don't want to make you feel bad or like I was preaching at you because that wasn't the, the point tonight. 
But I just want us to be grounded and settled on the word. Don't settle for leadership that moves with political mindedness. Elected or unelected. And, and even in our own homes, we don't rule by fear. It'll never work. I'm going to make you believe what I believe. It'll never work. Rule by love. Lead the sheep. Feed them the word. Say, well, they won't be fed. Well, maybe they're not sheep. You weren't called to feed everybody. Feed the sheep. The sheep will be led. The sheep will hear the master's voice. Don't use denominational means to do that. Use the word of God. Preach the word. Speak to the rock. It'll come out all right. Even, even with your family. Don't manipulate your family to come and believe in the message. I was so pleased Sunday to watch the, our, our sister Stephanie get baptized. And maybe they're listening tonight. I was so pleased to watch her get baptized because she wanted to. Not because I manipulated her into it. God did that. And put that on my heart for that morning. Caused them to be here. And, and she just come the, the morning before. And I didn't realize it, but she'd been asking her family those same questions. Why do we baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? You can't do that. That's the Spirit of Christ. God has to do that. I don't say that to point to my own effectiveness because I had nothing to do with it. God does it. And if we can let the Spirit of the Lord be so real in our services and the presence and the atmosphere be so right that when I get up here, I begin to preach and something is said that will strike the heart of somebody and it will change their life. Or one of these other brothers preaching. It don't matter. But it changes the life of the person. That's all we want. Because I know by my own efforts, I can't even save my own kids. I can't even make them do right. But I know if I can get them to the water. Amen. If I can get them to the still waters. If I can feed them. If I can lead them into the pasture. Let them eat from the word of God. They'll begin to grow. They'll want to be baptized. They'll want to live for God. They'll want to serve God. They'll want the Holy Ghost. They'll begin to desire it. Not because I beat them over the head with it, but because I preached the Word and because they were, they were feeding on it. Well, God, help us to do that tonight. Amen. God bless you as you worship tonight. Brother Joel, come. Amen. Each Hallelujah. That Thank you, Lord. Oh, and he hears me with. Thank you, Lord. I call. He'll never leave 
up in the sky. He does not struggle. He does not strive. Oh, for the power that makes him Yeah. 